If the Lord came to you and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you, how would you answer? It's a heart-revealing question to be sure. And next on Abounding Grace, we'll hear how Solomon would answer it. This is amazing grace. You know, you can learn a lot by studying the successes and failures of those who have gone on before us. That's especially true when it comes to those we find in the Bible. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has us consider the early years of Solomon's life. He certainly had his ups and downs. Maybe as a kid, you dreamed of what it would be like to be given anything you wish for. Perhaps a new car or a million bucks came to mind. Well, Solomon was given a similar question from the Lord, and his answer says a lot about where his heart was at. Here's Pastor Ed in 1 Kings. As Solomon is taking the lead now in the kingdom of Israel and Judah from his dad, and we saw last time that David and Solomon are two very different men, and that cannot be missed as we lay the foundation for this transition in leadership. David was a man of war, And he was unable to build the temple that was on his heart because his hands were full of blood. David was a warrior king, inspiring those around him by his personality, by his strength, by his temperament, by his leadership skills. He was a soldier fighting battles. Solomon, on the other hand, he was a soldier's son. He was not a soldier, but a scholar. And Solomon grew up in luxury, without the battles. Instead, instead of the battles, Solomon grew up with the stories. Just like the generation that came out of Egypt. The first generation that came out of Egypt were very faithless, and they were those that saw the power of God. They were faithless even though God demonstrated to them miraculously his deliverance. But their kids, they only heard about Egypt And they only heard about the miraculous work of God. But they didn't see it, at least not what they saw in Egypt. They saw it with the manna and such, but they didn't see the miraculous work of Moses leading them out. And then the third generation, they didn't see or hear. And they didn't really care. And it doesn't take a generation to fall away from the Lord or a generation to come back to the Lord. And Solomon was so different. He's going to be a builder He's going to expand the kingdom. He's not so much wanting to be a warrior. He wants to keep the peace. David had a shepherd's heart because of where he came from. Loving and serving the flock, his dads, and then his heavenly fathers overseeing the kingdom. But Solomon, not a scholar, I mean, not a, not a shepherd. Solomon is more of a celebrity. He is more of a man that's going to get notoriety for the kingdom. A lot of what his dad did and then what he added to it. Solomon is going to be a politician, unfortunately. 
he, in order to build his kingdom, he's going to have to raise money. And the way that he raises money is through heavy taxation. We'll see that when, with Rehoboam and the advice that Rehoboam gets on how heavy a burden Solomon had placed upon the people in order to build everything extravagantly to keep up with his extravagant lifestyle. When David died, people mourned. But later on, when Solomon dies, the people beg Rehoboam to lighten the heavy yoke of taxation that his father put on their lives. David, the warrior, placing his trust in God. Solomon, the politician, that places his trust in authority, in treaties, and great monumental achievements. So the next few chapters as we study and you read ahead, chronicle the first few years of Solomon's life, and we pick up with the very first thing in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. And he brought her to the city of David until he'd finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. Now, the root of Solomon's name is Shalom, which means peace. And Solomon is going to be the kind of king that wants to keep peace with all the nations around him. And he starts by reaching out to Pharaoh and marrying his daughter. Now, by the time he's done, he's going to end up marrying 700 women and have over 300 concubines. And as one commentator put it, I quote, It appears that Solomon enters into a treaty arrangements with every petty ruler who had a marriageable daughter. And he was keeping the peace because after all, if your daughter was in the kingdom, then you would be far less willing and ready and it would be much harder for you to attack that kingdom if your daughter was there. And it was very custom and normal in that day for this to take place, but not for the Lord. You're going to see this pattern over and over again. We're not going to develop it today, but we'll develop in future studies. And it's simply this, and you'll see it in your own life. There are things in our culture that are customary that are not from the Lord. And it will force you and me to make a decision of whether we go with the culture and the current of the culture, even as believers. Because I don't know if you've seen it in your life. I've certainly seen it in mine. It's easy to justify things. To put a spiritual veneer over something that truly the Lord has said no. It's not for you, son, and it's not for you, daughter. We see this a lot in our homes. As parents, there are particular directions of our home. There are particular rules in our home. And the kids, while they're young, they go along with the program, willingly or unwillingly. We never really ask. All we want them to do is go along with the program. We don't really ask, are you doing this willingly or not willingly? Just we're discipling our kids and we're training our kids and we're teaching them discernment. But inside of them, they're fighting the rules of their parents. And it comes out in every kid at some age. We, it's different for every kid. But it comes out with every kid where they have to make, well, like when you, you know, we have a baby dedication here. And one of my prayers is when, when that child comes to the place where they realize the love of God for themselves. And then if we did you know, toddler, if we were praying for, okay, we have baby dedications in the next stage, we need to bring them up at 10 years old, let's pray for them at 10. 
At 10, the prayer would be something like they're processing and they're thinking things through and they're making up their own minds. And in just a couple years, they're going to come to a crossroads or what we would call a crisis of faith where the faith of their parents is not sufficient anymore. And the rules of their parents aren't desirable anymore. And they're going to have to make decisions that are going to set the course of their life. And many kids, young people, turn their backs on the Lord. This is going to be a theme with Solomon, where there's something that's customary for society, but God has forbidden it. Multiplying wives, for whatever reason, is forbidden by the Lord. It, it, and, well, you know, Solomon goes, well, I'm just trying to keep the peace for your glory. No, you can't keep the peace that way. Keeping the peace is good. Multiplying wives is sin. And the way that, the, the way that we've been taught this, of course, is this is, this is where, what it sounds like in the educational system, is that the end justifies the means. And the idea behind that is if it ends well, then no matter how we get there, it doesn't matter. That's simply not wisdom from God. And Solomon, here in the beginning, even though it was customary for kings to do this, it was not the will of God. It was forbidden. If you want to jot it down, uh, it's Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 17. That's just one place where it's forbidden for kings to multiply wives. It says in verse 17, "...neither shall he multiply wives for himself." Now, this is often a familiar place where a pastor will slip in a little joke about multiple wives, but it's really no joking matter. It's really no joking matter to take something that's so crystal clear in the Bible and just dismiss it. There will be consequences, as Solomon will. Solomon will show us. What's the, what's the warning? Listen, Deuteronomy 17, 14. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Read the book of Ecclesiastes as a reminder of how far Solomon's heart was turned away from the Lord. How empty he saw life, even though in just a few verses he's going to be given the wisdom of God like no other man ever has had. It's, a, it's really a difficult paradox in the scriptures because it says in verse 3 that Solomon loved the Lord and he walked in the statutes of his father David except there was so much good about Solomon's life except that's a powerful word. I have it circled in my Bible except because I just wonder what that is in your life or mine where your life can be described as hey, God is doing this, this, and this in your life except or you really love God, except the law really tells us that God, God's people would worship him only in the place that he assigned. And there was still yet no temple yet. And the Ark of the Covenant, though, was in Jerusalem, and the tabernacle was at Gibeon at this point. But they were sacrificing all over the place. And while some commentators say, well, that, that was acceptable because there was no really one place to sacrifice, the Bible says that there was an exception in Solomon's life. And it had to do where he chose to sacrifice and burn incense in the high places. Something about this behavior in Solomon's life was an exception to the love and the obedience and the diligence that he showed in following his dad, David. With all the choices today of worship, when all the choices today of 
you know, being able to use the internet, being able to tune in like many are on the radio, in an age where we don't have time for anything or we only make time for the things that we want to, it's important that we, you know, in our application today, we don't forsake the gathering together of ourselves. We don't forsake that. That's the key. It's not that there aren't times when we can't gather together. Of course there are times when we can't gather together. Of course there are times where some listening in right now are at home, they're sick, they're laid out in a hospital bed, perhaps even listening on the radio and coming home from work right now or in a jail cell somewhere. Of course there are times when we can't gather together and certainly God wouldn't want us to go beyond what we're unable to do. But the emphasis in Hebrews is that we wouldn't forsake it. And and the idea is that we wouldn't value coming together as believers anymore, that we wouldn't come together and talk about the things of God, that we wouldn't come together and fellowship, talking to one another. Listen, as much as we can hang out together and catch up on life, unless we're talking about the things of God, that's not true fellowship. So we could talk about, you know, football all you want and enjoy and smile, but that's not fellowship. That's talking about football or baseball or cars And there is a time and place for that. But we have to understand not forsaking true koinonia. And and here's how you do that. Here's Here's one way that you can do that. And that is when you come to gather with people, you come with a sensitivity to talk to people about their life. To ask them how they're doing. That you could even pray and ask God to give you insight of what's going on. I mean, if we could really, if, if we walked around kind of like commercials sometimes where they have words above their heads or, you know, cartoons with the, with the word bubbles around, above their head, I think you'd be shocked what's in this room right now. I would be shocked. I think one reason God doesn't do that is we wouldn't be able to handle the things that are going on in people's lives right now. We wouldn't be able to handle knowing everybody But there is on occasion when you're open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you come ready, when you come not just feed me, but also you come, Lord, I'm ready to feast on you so that I might be a blessing to others. God will give you that word bubble. Maybe it's the way somebody looks. Maybe it's the way that somebody doesn't look. Maybe it's the way somebody's sitting in a different place. Maybe it's the, who knows what it might be. But as you come together, we're looking to fellowship with one another. We're looking to break bread at the table of communion, we're looking to at least worship by maybe singing or if we aren't in a singing mood like that, our hearts are so heavy that we're allowing other people to sing for us. Maybe we're lacking faith and we come together so that other people's faith can be on our behalf. But in our lives, and especially as it relates to worship, we don't want the exceptions. God wants us to worship how he prescribes, not at our convenience, but at his desire. I was watching a television show on vice presidents and chiefs of staff, and one of the phrases that I picked up uh, that was really insightful uh, is, and I forget if it was a vice president said this or one of the chiefs of staff in the United States, you know, serving our president. Uh, They said, I serve at the convenience of the president. And I think that that was a powerful statement They didn't say, I serve at my convenience. I do it when I want to. I serve the way I desire. They recognized their role was to serve the President of the United States at his desire. And it's certainly not any godliness with that. But I thought, is that how my life is described? Where I say, I serve at the convenience of my God. He dictates to me. He tells me. 
He leads me. He guides me. I serve at his convenience. And while I don't really use that vocabulary very much, I certainly can look at times in my life where I could say this, I've served God at my convenience. And who knows what I've lost out on? Who knows what rewards have been taken? Who knows what people have been hurt? Who knows what neglect might have taken place? Who knows? Certainly, God's going to take care of his people, but what have I missed out because of my own convenience? Because there's an exception in my life that I've come to accept. Now notice verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in the uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And what a special appearance to Solomon. Here he is going up to Gibeon, sacrificing a thousand burnt offerings. I didn't do the math on that, but I'm sure that took a while. A great length of time of this prescribed offering. And while he was there during that time, God appeared to him in a dream. And the Lord showed him showed up to him with such a great offer. Don't miss what he said. And I, I just try to imagine myself in that same, like I'm dreaming and the Lord comes to me and says, ask, what shall I give to you? That's a pretty broad question. What do you want, Ed? What do you want? Maybe some of you are thinking like, well, what, what, what do I want, Lord? What is it? What's the most pressing thing? Or I was thinking, you know, if the Lord gave me what do, you, what do I give you? I would ask, probably ask, can you give me unlimited requests? <laughs> That's how my mind thinks. I look at the dream and I, I think of the presence of the Lord, how God shows up sometimes and just encourages you and you have a dream that's pretty encouraging. It's not a nightmare or it's not involved in any weird stuff or it's just a good encouragement. The Lord reminds you of his presence or... You know, you wake up to a dream and God's speaking to you in a dream about, hey man, I'm here for you. What can I give you? And it would have been easy for Solomon just to chalk that dream up to an answer to prayer or a, a, a showing up by the Lord in a downtime, you know, where you go to bed with a lot on your mind and the Lord kind of comforts you in sleep. And then he'd wake up and just tell his friends, man, had this great dream and it was so encouraging that the Lord came and he knows I'm going to take over this new responsibility and he knows how young, all of those things he could have said. But, but he didn't do that. In, in the dream and as he's processing, he answers the question. He answers the question. And maybe the Lord has been speaking to you lately and you've written it off or you've quickly dismissed it, not seeking confirmation or not seeking God to really make it clear to you. And I just encourage you to step out in faith and watch what the Lord might do. 
Because what a question that the Lord would come, come to him with. And I don't know how many of us could handle it. I don't think I could handle it. God's never given me uh, an open uh, request like that. But the Lord's command and his question is really a revelation of his grace towards Solomon and his love for the nation. But it's also a test of Solomon's heart. Where is Solomon? What will he ask for? And he says in verse 9, just give me an understanding heart to judge your people. Earlier he says, I'm like a kid, verse 7. I'm like a kid. I don't know how to go out or come in. I'm not, I, I guess you could even say that he's saying, I'm not my dad. I'm not my dad. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, I don't, don't know what is up ahead. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I need help. I need un- understanding. I mean, if you think of Solomon's life at this point already, he has everything materially that a person could want. He has an overabundance of, you know, he hasn't had in, in the entirety of his life, he hasn't had to think about paying a bill. He hasn't had to think about where his next meal's coming from. He hasn't had to think about a lot of things that are heavy on our hearts on a daily or even a weekly or a monthly basis. Things are pretty much taken care of for him. And yet he never did lose, in verse 9, that heart that he's God's servant. And he says it three times. I'm your servant. I'm a little overwhelmed with everything that I'm involved in. I'm a little overwhelmed with what I've been entrusted with. I'm not sure how I'm going to be king. And he asks for an understanding heart. And I noted that he didn't ask for an understanding mind, but an understanding heart. Because if the heart is wrong then the mind will make bad decisions. Because the Bible tells us to guard our hearts because out of it flow the issues of life. And there's already wisdom in this young man to say, man, I need an understanding heart. I don't want to be able to understand and figure everything out. I want to have the right heart toward you. And that'll help me to make the right decisions toward others. Now, if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word understanding, and you can write next to it the word hearing, because that's the root of the Hebrew word, hearing. He asked for a hearing heart. And I believe true understanding comes from hearing what God has to say on the matter, that I might have a hearing heart, an understanding heart, to judge your people. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace today with Pastor Ed Taylor. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or look for our program wherever you get your podcasts. Have you had a chance to download our free app? You know, this is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it today by searching for Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot to us. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads these emails. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Go on, email us. We'd love to hear from you. Pastor Ed, each month we pick out a resource that we believe God can use to help our listeners in their walk with Him. What do we have here in July? Larry, we have a very special pick for the month of July. It's brand new to our list. It's called The Strategy of Satan by Warren Wearsby. The subtitle is How to Detect and Defeat Him. 
This small but powerful book is an essential, and I'm so glad I was introduced to it, and I'm so glad to offer it to you. Uh, Dr. Wearsby, he zeroes in on Satan's attacks as the deceiver, as the destroyer, and even as the accuser, and emphasizes that conquering the enemy comes by, by obeying the truth. So whether you get this book by supporting Abounding Grace, which we'd love you to do, or you get it wherever you get books, please get it and apply the truths in your life. We're real excited to have it. And when I do a offer on the radio, Larry, we do it for the church as well as for radio. I'm really excited about our church picking up this resource that we might learn more about spiritual warfare and what the Bible, not all these thoughts out there and all these ministries and all these teachers, we want to know what the Bible has to say about it. This is the book, The Strategy of Satan by Warren Wiersbe. I know it'll bless you. Grab it while you can. Support the ministry here and keep praying for us. Thanks. You can order The Strategy of Satan right now at calvaryco.store or call us 877-30-GRACE. It's yours for a gift of $25 or more. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.